We're entering the section of Matthew's gospel where Jesus begins to speak in parables. Uh, parables, if, you, if you're not you know, familiar with them, they basically take an earthly story that comes alongside a heavenly reality or, or a kingdom reality. Um, some parables in the Bible are really easy to understand, and some of them are pretty difficult, quite frankly. And so we're going to have fun going through these over the next several months, probably. <laughs> so it'll work. Um, the one that we're looking at this morning, though, is, is probably one of the clearest passages we have that describes what happens when people hear God's word along with their reception and their response to that. And I think you would agree that one of the most difficult things uh, to make sense of sometimes as Christians and definitely as pastors is, is you hear somebody respond to the gospel and, and, and then sometimes it's really clear what happens and sometimes it's not and you try to understand what all of this means. Are they a Christian? Are they just going through a dry spell? Uh, where did they go? Are they ever coming back? What does it all mean? I mean, these are the, the things that we wrestle with. I think we've all known people that have shown up, uh, made some kind of profession of faith, gotten excited, um, and then over time, the, the interest kind of waned, the enthusiasm waned, the attendance waned, and they disappear. What do we do with that? And, and this becomes even more profound when it's somebody you love, when it's one of your kids, when it's a, when it's a, when it's a you know, family member or a friend, and we try to understand that. So it can be very difficult to make sense of these things, especially when it comes to somebody like that. But this parable, I think, somewhat helps us make sense of what's really going on and hopefully uh, come to the right conclusion of where people stand so that we know how to properly minister to them. It doesn't give us the definitive answer for every individual. I wish it did. But it does give us a broad framework um, to, to understand what the possibilities are. So Matthew 13, starting in verse 1, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Now, just in case you're, you're more city folk than country folk, that means a farmer went out to, to plant seeds. All right? I had to look it up. I'm just kidding. Uh, this is the idea that if, if, uh, you know, if one of you were to walk out right now to the front area and look around, you would see grassy areas, dirt areas, asphalt, concrete, different things. If you were to take a handful of seeds and just kind of throw them, they would land on various surfaces. And depending on where they landed, different things would happen to them. And spoiler alert, just so you know, verse 19 tells us what the seed represents in this parable. It says it represents the kingdom or the word of the kingdom. And Luke's gospel actually says the word of God. And I think we, we, we often associate the gospel with this passage. It certainly includes the work of Jesus, but it really just talks about the response of people to God's word as well. And this is what Jesus describes in this parable. So as we go through, I want you to consider which soil describes you. Oftentimes we listen to sermons for somebody else. We're really good at that. Listen to it for you. Which soil describes you? When you hear about who Jesus is and what he's done, does it take deep root in your soul? When you hear God's word, does it find a home in you? So here we go in verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have any soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. 
Now, after giving this parable, verse 10 tells us the disciples, as they often did, came to Jesus and said, what does this mean? Why, why do you speak to them in parables? And that's a really great question. Why doesn't Jesus just speak plainly in a way that everybody can understand? Why does he reveal to some and conceal to others? And the good news is, verses 11 through 17 answer that question. The bad news is we're not going to look at that till next week. So... <laughs> Sorry, but we, this is kind of the way this, this particular parable works is Jesus tells it and then he explains it after those verses. So we're going to circle back to that. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid and you used to watch those TV shows and it would say to be continued. You know, the, the younger people don't know the struggle that we had to face. <laughs> but this is one of those to be continued things. So come back next week and we'll talk about that. This section really deserves its own sermon. So, um, but we're going to jump down to verse 18 where Jesus gives the explanation of the parable. Where he says this, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. So we've already defined what the seed represents in the parable. Uh, What about the sower? The sower uh, could refer to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, or any and all gospel workers. And I would choose all of the above, because I think if you're, if you're active in proclaiming the gospel or anything, you know, getting the word out, that, that fits. So what we see here is we have four soils, four responses, and four results. Uh, the four soils, the hardened path, rocky ground, thorny ground, and finally good soil, these describe a person's reception. Uh, to, to, to God's word, their heart towards the gospel that they hear. The first one is the hard heart, the hard path, all right? So the text says that they, they heard the word, but they didn't understand it. And that can mean that they didn't grasp it or that it, they didn't see the point in it, okay? And this seems to describe the majority of people in the world today, I would say. Their heart is hard towards the things of God because they don't see a need for it. Uh, so the seed just kind of bounces off when it hits them. They may be nice about it, right? They could say, oh, good for you. Good for you. That's great for you. I'm glad you found that. They may be not so nice about it too. They may mock you. They may actually be hostile about it. And we see both of these things. So there's a, there's a big gamut of, you know, this particular soil. But when, when God's word comes to it, it quickly bounces off. And it says that the enemy swoops in like a bird to quickly snatch that seed away. Luke's account actually says, gives us more detail says that the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's pretty specific. The enemy doesn't want you to hear the word that will save you. Um, He will do his best to make it sound ridiculous and foolish and to make you seem intolerant if you you go along with this. Um, All of these things, embarrassed even to accept it. The quicker he can get it away, the better because he understands God's word is powerful and it's transformative. And if it hangs around too long, it it could do something. So he wants to, he's like, he's got a racket out there. He's batting these seeds away as fast as he can to get them away from us. 
And I would say don't be naive enough to believe that he only does this with unbelievers. In this parable, that's what it's talking about. But, but believe me, he wants to keep you from God's word and God's word from you as much as he can. And he's good at it. How many times do you pick up your Bible to read it and all of a sudden, you know, he, he, he flashes something shiny over here to distract you and you're, you're like, oh, let's go see what that is. He's a master distractor. He, 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 he'll come up with anything counterfeit, any shiny thing to get you to move away from it. Because God's word is life. It helps us to navigate this crazy world we live in. The Bible says that, or, or the word says that it's, it's a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. So this is so important for us. No wonder the enemy wants to snuff it out and keep us in the dark. So for those of you uh, who know these people that are hard-hearted towards the gospel, what do we do? Um, well, we pray. We pray that, that God would soften their heart. We pray that the seed would break through and that it would find ground to land in. We, uh, we keep the seeds coming their way, right? We don't give up. It's really easy to give up after a while. They're, they're a lost cause. I'm glad people didn't de- determine that with me because I seemed like a lost cause at one point. You know, the neat thing is God can crack the toughest nut. Right? I should have heard an amen, I think, there because I know, I know some of you, yeah? Uh, uh, there's some tough nuts in here and you're sitting in here today because God broke through. And, and what, an, what an amazing thing that he does that. I can tell you, I, you can go back to my, my junior high, high school days and talk to people that knew me then and they would put money down. There's no way that guy is ever getting saved. God can do anything. So don't give up. Keep praying. Keep the seeds coming. Uh, the next surface Jesus describes is the rocky soil or the shallow heart. These people hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. And that sounds promising. You know, when you see a positive response, you naturally get excited this is great. I can think of several times over the year when I've seen this happen. You know, somebody hears this and they get excited and they're like, yeah, I want to come. I want to do this. Um, and, and we get very hopeful, but then you start to see all of that enthusiasm and excitement and conviction and stuff just wane. And that's because, according to this, their acceptance was very shallow and superficial. It had no roots. That's what verse 21 says. There was no root, so it endured for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arose, on account of the word, they fell away. We have watched this play out in our churches over the last several years. Um, it, it's just, we've, we've watched it. As the cost of becoming a Christian in this country has increased, we, we, we've seen this, this happen. There was a time when it didn't really matter a whole lot if you said you were a Christian. There wasn't a huge cost involved. You could say, I'm a Christian in America, and everybody was kind of just fine with it right? You could say, I aligned myself with God's word and everybody was just fine with it. That's going away rapidly. And and, and basically what this means is that these people didn't really count the cost. And when they finally did, when they had to count the cost, what they determined is heartbreaking. They determined that Jesus wasn't worth it. I mean, just you hear those words and it almost makes you weep. Jesus wasn't worth it. And so I would ask you, as you consider what soil you are, how much is Jesus worth to you? How much is he worth to you? We're only beginning to see the tribulation and the persecution that the church is, you know, the, the, the church in general has always endured. It's now coming to us. Will it drive you closer to Christ or will it drive you away from him? We see the same dilemma going on in the third soil of this idea of counting the cost. 
Verse 22 says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches uh, choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So this is the strangled heart. Uh, they, they, they see a benefit, so, so they receive it until they realize that the benefit they thought that was coming doesn't necessarily outweigh what they want. So they kind of put it on the scales and they say, okay, if I, if I, if I receive God, I lose out on this. And so that after they weigh it out a little bit, um, they decide that the world has more to offer them than God does. And they determine again that he's not worth it. Jesus describes what causes them to reject God as the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And Mark's gospel adds the desire for other things. They don't want to miss out on all that the world has to offer. And, and the minute that God or his word gets in the way of their happiness, guess which one they pick. And, and this is so frustrating to me because, I, we've, we, again, we've watched this play out. You know, you'll see somebody who says they're a Christian. They're doing something or they're choosing something that you know is going to bring destruction into their life. It's going to grieve God that, that, that his word says is sinful. And you confront them with it. And they say, well, this is what God's word says. Do you see it? And they're like, yeah, I see it. Do you agree with it? Yeah, I agree with it. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to choose my happiness. And they walk away. And it's just so frustrating. And they have this assumption, which is the most frustrating part to me, is that somehow God's going to be okay with it. This will all work out in the end. Because God's loving, and he's merciful, and he, he probably likes me because I'm awesome. And so, you know, when it all's said and done, everything's going to be okay. You're rolling the dice on something that, that, that may not end up being okay. And in fact, you know, th- this idea of self-love, self-fulfillment, self-care. These, these things are king right now. That, that people will tell you that's the path to happiness and fulfillment. And that's the seed that's taken root in most people's life. Their happiness, their fulfillment, all of those things, that matters more than anything else. What did Jesus teach? What did Jesus model for us? The complete opposite. He, he taught self-denial and selflessness. So in Matthew 16, which is coming up in a couple of chapters, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Well, that doesn't sound fun, right? Then he says, and take up his cross and follow me. Well, that doesn't sound fun either, right? But then listen to what he says afterwards, as you got these things on the scales. For whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And this is the part that people need to understand. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Do you only want God for his stuff? Or do you actually want God? This is the part that I I think most people, when it comes down to it, that's what it comes down to. God is just a means to an end. He's not the end. But, but you need to understand God is everything. We get God. That's the prize. That's the treasure. That's the best part. This other stuff doesn't, doesn't even compare. And so that's the question I want to ask you. Does anything else compare to him? Are you willing to lose him to gain something else? That tells you which soil you might be. Now, the last soil in the parable is the receptive heart. Verse 23 says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And then he bears fruit. And it talks about the the yield of the fruit. So the person hears the word, understands it. Mark's gospel adds and accepts it. So you have hear, understand, receive. 
Now, again, I want to remind you, this isn't just referring to the gospel. I know it's included in the, in the work of Christ and what he's done, but it's talking about the word of God, the teachings that are contained in the Bible. Lots of people will accept Christ if it means, you know, they get to go to heaven, but they're willing to ignore or reject all of his teachings. So which one describes you? It's like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take Jesus. That sounds good, but I don't want to do anything he asked me to do. <laughs> That's not good. Somebody one time told me this. Sheep, that's what Christians are called, really enjoy sheep food. They like it. It's tasty to them, right? It nourishes them. It benefits them. It doesn't mean it's not hard. Sometimes it is. But in general, sheep like sheep food. If you don't like what God's word says and you're not willing to do it, it may mean you don't like sheep food because you may not be a sheep. According to the parable, the way that we know that this seed has taken root in somebody's heart is fruitfulness that will happen over time. And this is where fruitfulness comes from, is by reading God's word, applying God's word, following his word. This is a, a huge part of how we grow as Christians. When we become a Christian, we, we start to, our mind starts to get reprogrammed. We start to be transformed. We start to be conformed into an image. It, it's almost something that I, I would just, if I'm being honest, I didn't think it was going to happen the way it happened. All of a sudden, things that I loved I didn't like anymore. Things that I, I was okay to say, I wasn't okay with anymore. Things that I hated, I started to like. It didn't make much sense to me. It's like, I never wanted to go to church, and all of a sudden, I want to go to church? I didn't like Christians. All of a sudden, I want to be around Christians? A lot of this stuff didn't make sense, but it, but it naturally started to happen in my life. My mind was, was being transformed, and it still is through His Word. It starts to wash over us. It starts to change who we are. We begin to think and act differently. This is evidence of God's spirit within us and and this new heart within us. Lasting fruit that continues year after year, not perfection, not sinlessness. That's not what I'm talking about, but fruitfulness over time. So Jesus says in one case, a hundredfold, another 60, another 30. This is an unmistakable amount. If you plant something expecting to get something and you get 30 times that or 60 times that or a hundred times that, you don't miss that. And that's his point. If, if Jesus is in you, it should be unmistakable, right? Okay, so those are the four soils, the four responses and the four results. Almost everybody agrees the first scenario is talking about somebody who is not a Christian, not born again. They've rejected the message. They're not saved. People do debate about the two middle soils because there appears to be a period of acceptance and and even excitement of some kind of belief. But I would argue at best, it's a very superficial acceptance and belief and that these are not born again Christians. They're not believers. Um, We're told the second one falls away. We're told the third one bears no fruit. And, And that means to me that they ultimately end up without Christ. I think we've all run into these people. I kind of like to call them dabblers for Jesus. That'd be a great name for a group. Um, There used to be a bumper sticker that I hated. I don't see it anymore. And if you've got it in your car, I apologize. But it said, try Jesus. And And I used to see that and think, what does that mean? You know, these people that always have a supplement they want you to take, like you need to take zinc. You need to take ginkgo biloba. Try it. It might change. You might, it works for some people. It might even enhance your life a little bit. That's what I felt like they were saying. Yeah, give it a try. What do you got to lose? Just try him. It's like, Really? Most people are willing to dip their toe in the water to see what happens if they think it's going to benefit them, if they think it's going to be an enhancement to their life. And the problem is, as soon as the idea of difficulty or self-denial comes in, they're out. 
There's no desperation for Jesus to be their Lord. There's no understanding of their true predicament of sin. That, that, and that really is what it comes down to. If there's no desperation over your sinful condition and the consequences of it, why would you really, why would you run to Jesus? It, it's like it, you wouldn't run to the emergency room right now if you weren't desperate for medical attention and you won't run to Jesus if you're not desperate for a savior. So I believe only the fourth soil is a Christian. The rest of them get close to the shore. They might even dip their toe in the water a little bit, but only the fourth one dove all in. And, and I, this reminded me of Peter. Do you remember um, when Jesus had risen, Peter went back to fishing. He's on the shore fishing. He looks out on the water and there's Jesus in a boat. Do you remember Peter's response? He couldn't wait to get to Jesus. Nothing was going to get in his way. He wasn't waiting for the boat to come. He wasn't waiting for somebody to take him out there. He threw himself in the water and he had to get to Jesus now. This is the kind of desperation we're talking about in the fourth soil. Now, of course, as much as I wish I, I had this ability, we aren't the ones who get to determine, um, you know, which soil is which. So I can't be like, okay, you're a one, you're definitely a four. I think you might be a, you know, that's not, we don't, we don't get to do that, okay? We can look at fruit and we can make some estimations, but that's really God's department. Um, these things tell a general story. They don't tell like an individual story. And I want to make sure we get that right. And the good news about this is that we, we might wonder where people sit and where they're at, but time might change that. The story's not done being written. So we should remain hopeful. But why is what Jesus is teaching here so important? And, and I think it's important. I see two big problems happening today. The first big problem is this. Too many people think they're Christians when they're not. Second problem is that as Christians, we can be too quick to affirm that belief in them. Okay? We might do this out of hope. Uh, we might do it because we don't want to c- come across as judgmental. I know this is a big thing now. But, but woe to us if we are guilty of reinforcing a faith that isn't really there. You know, we, we live in a time when people, uh, we get upset when, when we see people that are, are delusional and they want us to go along with that delusion. I'm not going to get too specific here, but, but you know, I think you know what I'm talking about, all right? And we say, well, that's, that's crazy. But, but aren't we doing this when it comes to somebody who, you know, they identify as a Christian, but there's no fruit, there's no evidence, there's nothing there, and yet we go along with it. The reasons we go along with that, two, two main reasons why, usually it's because we, we can't accept the alternative. If you love somebody, you care about them, it's too painful to, to think that they might not be a Christian. I know this firsthand. The other reason we do it is because it gets us out of evangelizing, right? It gets us out of having to have hard conversations with people. None of us like to do that very much. And this just says, you know, now they're probably a Christian and you walk away from it. Now, I will just say a quick side note when it comes to this idea of, I don't want to call it a delusion, but, but believing somebody's a Christian when they're not. I, I'm speaking about the living among us. Um, there, there are people that have passed from us, and uh, we don't know for sure, but, but when, it's, when it's that situation, I, I think we should remain hopeful, and, and I think it's okay to remain hopeful. And I, you know, I couldn't help but think about it. I'm going yeah, to try not to. Couldn't help but think of my grandpa. Uh, was not a Christian. Um, but I remember a day in the Thompson's backyard at a barbecue where a man named Dan sat down with my grandpa at a table and preached the gospel to him in the most loving, gentle, kind, wonderful way, just sat with my grandpa and shared the gospel with him. 
I don't know what happened. My grandpa didn't get on his knees and say, what must I do to be saved? But he heard the gospel that day. And so right now, I have a hope that I'm gonna see my papa in heaven when I get there, and I don't want anybody to take that away from me, and nobody should take it away from you either. So that's a hope that's okay to have. But this hope we have sometimes for the living, this should motivate us to go and talk to them, to find out, to ask the question, where do you fit in this soil thing? Where are you at right now? And challenge them, because there's so much at stake here. We're not talking about being judgmental towards them in a a harsh way. Come humbly, come lovingly, but come, right? Because this is eternity we're talking about here. I, I think about people I don't know why I do this. I shouldn't. It's, it's kind of morbid. But I think about me standing there in heaven, you know, saved. It's, and I don't know if this will even be a thing, but I picture those people that I didn't tell, that I didn't talk to, looking at me and going, why did you say anything? Well, I didn't want to be judgy. You think they're going to care about that at that point? Not one bit. We have time right now. Use it. Okay. I don't know where I'm at anymore. I mean, I... Um, when, when we, when, you know, this fruitfulness, this idea of fruitfulness is something we want to look for. We want to see, um, it doesn't always tell the whole story, but it tells part of it. And I would just say when it comes to leaning more hopeful or maybe leaning more skeptical for me, I've just decided I'm going to lean more skeptical. And that's part of my personality anyway. You're like, yeah, surprise, surprise. No, I I just, I, because of what's at stake, I I, want to be hopeful, but I'm going to lean more skeptical, you know, when it comes to this thing. Um, and this is one of the reasons, by the way, you know, I never want to give somebody a false sense of assurance if, if they shouldn't have it. This is one of the reasons why we don't do altar calls here. I know there's people over the years that have said, what's wrong with you guys? Aren't you, you know, don't you care about people coming to Christ? Uh, as though that's the only way it'll happen. And, and we, you know, I know some of you are really big fans of altar calls, but what it does very often, you can whip somebody into an emotional frenzy. You can create peer pressure or guilt and, and somebody could walk forward. And, and I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that said, you know, are you a Christian? Yeah, in 1976, I was at a Billy Graham concert and I walked forward. Is that the only evidence? You know, a youth pastor said he saw my hand once and I'm pretty sure that, you know, is that the only evidence? So, so this is what I'm talking about. The good news is when you preach the gospel, it is powerful and effective. It can wreck somebody while you're sitting in your chair. I don't have to do anything special. In fact, I preached sermons before that weren't that great, but I included the gospel in it. Somebody will walk up to me afterwards with tears running down their face. And I don't know what just happened. And I'm like, I do. They're like, everything's different. I'm new. It's like, yeah, you met Jesus today. That's what happened, right? There's no mistaking it. Life wasn't there now it's there. You can't miss it, right? So, trust in the power of the gospel. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead a bit. Uh, I want to talk a minute about the responsibility of the sower. So, this is the person that's scattering seeds. We've all been, as Christians, we're told to scatter seeds. Uh, It's the means that God has chosen to save people, the power of the gospel. We have no control what happens after we throw the seeds, right? That, that goes into God's department. We're just pray for people, encourage them, keep throwing seeds, but, but that's up to God. I can lead a person to truth, but I can't make them believe. I can't make them obey. I wish I could, especially, you know, I can think of a few people right now that I would force to believe if I could. I don't have that ability. Um, God can. Now, what we can do, though, is we can preach an accurate gospel. Okay, because I find that too many people don't do this. 
So what we hear a lot of times today is something like, um, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not the gospel, okay? It's part of it, maybe, but it's not the whole thing. So in fact, if you said to somebody, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, try what you want to try Jesus, right? You're probably potentially going to end up with soils two and three because that's what you're offering them. Hey, do you want your problems to go away? Hey, do you want, do you want, do you want no suffering in your life? That's, that's kind of the, that's why I hate, I should say we, I can say we, this, that's why we hate the prosperity gospel. Hate it. It's evil. It's, it's, it's luring people to Jesus using the second and third seed method. It's not, it's not the whole gospel. So what we can say to people is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life if you're willing to repent of your sin, fall on your knees before Jesus as Lord, and believe that he is the son of God who came to save sinners. This is, there's a huge difference in those things. That message will sound great to a desperate sinner. It might not sound somebody who's looking for a little life enhancement, right? The gospel is, is good news, but it does include bad news. And we have to make sure we include both. C.S. Lewis one time said this quote, and I love it. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity, right? That, that's, he's right. But, but I would say, if you want a religion that will reconcile you to God, the God who made you, and allow you access into his holy kingdom, to be in his presence for eternity, to worship him forever, Christianity's perfect for that. Right. Now, I also want to talk a minute about the response of the good soil. So I, I think most of us would probably say we're part of the fourth soil contingent. I was picturing that, you know, like we represent the fourth soil guild. I won't do the dance, but... <laughs> Just kept coming in my head. I know I'm weird. It's all right. It's just funny. Sorry. If you're a fourth soiler, I want to ask you this. Would you ever have the audacity to go to the other three soils and say, my soil is better than yours? No. But do we as Christians act that way a lot? Do, do we think maybe we figured out something that, that they couldn't figure out or we're better than they are or smarter than they are? See, it's possible to read a passage like this and coming away, to come away thinking that the reason you received the word, the reason it, it came into your heart was because you have a good, soft heart or because that you're courageous. Those trials and tribulations aren't going to get me. I'm courageous. Or that the world doesn't tempt you, that, that you're... Your, your devotion to God is stellar. And if you're thinking those things, I would just say you're mistaken because those are all things you can boast about in God's kingdom when you get there. And according to Ephesians 2, this is a gift of God and that there's nobody that can boast for what's happened. We are trophies of God's grace. If you have been saved, if you're part of the fourth soil, fall on your face before God in gratitude and thank him that he was merciful to a sinner like you. And I'm saying that to me first. And be glad, by the way, that this is something that you haven't done, that it's something that's all of God and none of you. Because if that's the case, this means that if God has put this seed within you and he's the one that's done it, that means the enemy can't snatch it away. Nobody can. That means that persecution can't wither it away. And it means that the cares of this world can't choke it away. And I'm grateful that I can't mess this up. If you are one of his sheep, 
Do you know how secure you are? John 10 says it so good. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's a very just emphatic statement. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's Jesus saying that. Nobody will snatch them out of my hand. Then he doubles down and he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I love that idea. I don't remember who I first heard it from. It was like a holy hand grasp. You've got Jesus' hand, the father's hand and you're in the middle of it and nobody's getting you out of that thing. That's good news. So what about those who aren't sure where they stand? I, I would just plead with you, don't leave here today without asking some questions and finding out. What about those that, that we love, that we're not sure where they stand? Maybe that we thought they were part of the fourth soil at one point, and now we're not so sure. I would just encourage you to continue to pray fervently for them. Continue to sow seeds of God's word, the good news, news of the gospel, every chance you get, lovingly, humbly, charitably, and continue to, to warn them in the same way of what will happen if they don't come back to Jesus, right? The really good news, though, about our God is that he's the God of prodigals. He's the God of the prodigal son. He's the God of the prodigal daughter, which means there's nothing stopping anyone from running back to him right now. There's a guy, you know, when you're preparing for a sermon, stuff shows up in your, in your feed. I'm gonna close with this. Um, a guy named Tim Counts, I've never heard of him, but he writes for Jared Wilson's for the gospel site. And he was talking about friends of his who have walked away from Jesus. And this is what he wrote. I thought it was great. When Peter denied Jesus, Jesus looked at him. If you sense the Lord looking at you right now, you have two choices. You can run from the gaze of Jesus, just like Adam and Eve tried to run from the eyes of God, or you can run to the gaze of Jesus and see that there's forgiveness and acceptance and restoration in his eyes. This is what Peter experienced when the resurrected Jesus came to them later. When Peter had gone back to fishing, when Jesus appeared on the shore, Peter didn't hold back. Peter couldn't wait to be near Jesus again. He couldn't wait to get, or for the boat to get to the shore. Peter jumped in the water to go towards Jesus. I already talked about that. He didn't walk on the water this time. He simply threw himself into the water to get to Jesus. I wish I could have seen Peter do this. I think it would have been fantastic to watch. But he goes on to say, this, mu- this might be what repentance looks like for you, what coming back to God looks like for you, just throwing yourself towards Jesus. If you do that, I know Jesus will be waiting for you. Jesus himself promised and sealed it with his redeeming blood. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Friends, if you come back to Jesus, he will welcome you home as his friends now and for eternity. I hope to see you there. I thought those were such good words to think about. What soil are you? Really think about this, guys. Think about the implications. Think about what Jesus taught here. What soil are you? And then remember to talk to the people that you love in your life that you're not sure about. Ask them what soil they are. Get into this hard conversation with them. One of the hardest things I've had to do, I save this to the end because I know it'll get me, is finally admit that a couple of my kids aren't Christians. Heartbreaking. (laughs) Breaks my heart but to go on pretending that they were when they weren't was far worse because now I know 
how to treat them, how to pray for them, how to talk to them, how to minister to them. This is important that we're honest about this. Is it hard? Oh yeah, super hard. But I'm so thankful for God's faithfulness and I trust in it. I trust in it with all my heart. And I would just encourage you guys to don't give up, keep the seeds going, keep the prayers going. And, and, and let's just, as a church, even together, begin praying for those that we love, that, that are missing, that have gone AWOL on us, and just pray that the Spirit brings them all back. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word. Thank you for the hard things that are in it, the, the challenges, Lord. Um, thank you for the, the, the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that though we were sinners, you sent your son to come and die on our behalf, to live the perfect life we couldn't live, to go to the cross, to die the death we deserved. And then he was risen to new life three days later, proving that he was victorious over sin and death. And he's willing to give us his righteousness and take our sin upon him so that we can be saved, that we can have you, that we get God. Lord, help us not to, to miss how good that is. Lord, help us to be uh, devoted to you in this regard and grateful to you and to share this message with all that will hear it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.